I think my cats are going to join us. Excellent. I don't think they'll say anything, though. We want their picks. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Ruby Rogues. This episode is sponsored by CodeChip.com. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your test pass? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied to a nice continuous integration system? That's CodeChip. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically. For fast, free continuous delivery, check them out at CodeChip.com. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Rackspace. Are you looking for a place to host your latest creation? Want terrific support, high performance, all backed by the latest open source cloud? What if you could try it for free? Try out Rackspace at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace and get a $300 credit over six months. That's $50 per month at rubyrogues.com slash Rackspace. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 200 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel we have Coraline Ada Emke. Good morning. Afternoon. Whatever. Jessica Kerr. Good morning. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we brought back a few of what Dave's calling legacy rogues. <laughs> we have James Edward Gray. Where am I, and how did I get here? We have Aaron Patterson. <laughs> I'm not legacy. <laughs> and Saran Bark. Hey, everybody. So it's it's been a while since we've had some of you on. I don't think we've had Aaron on since episode 100. Hey, hey. He's wow. on the 100 episodes. Wow. <laughs> you need to come on more often if you want to be not legacy. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'm... I, I wouldn't say I'm legacy. I'm just really well-maintained. That's right. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> no bu- bug-free. You have a fine public API, Aaron. Yes. <laughs> That's a good and point. I'd like to keep it that way. So I was thinking that we could just uh, kind of catch up with some of the rogues that we haven't heard from in a while. I think it's been the longest since we've heard from Aaron, so maybe we'll start with you. What have you been up to in the last, what, almost two years? Almost two? Whoa, really? It's been two years? Huh. <laughs> Man, I don't know. You know, making sausage making bacon, stuff like that. No, I, I mean, I guess since I was on last, I got a new job. I work at Red Hat now. Oh, uh, wow, cool. It's obligatory, I have to say, we're hiring. So my my contractual obligation is now out of the way, so we can <laughs> move on. There are no other companies out there hiring, so... Nope, nope, none, zero. Let's see, yeah, so, I mean, I've been working at Red Hat for, I think, seven months or so. 
I don't know. I mean, that's the newest thing in my life, I suppose. What are you doing for Red Hat, Aaron? I'm uh, working on a team. So I'm working on a team called the Cloud Forums team, and I think that's our name. Our team seems to have many names. I'm not sure which one's the right one. Anyway, we build an application that's for managing clouds. So if you have a cloud you need to manage, just talk to me. Are you serious? <laughs> wow, that sounds even harder than managing developers. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I am serious. But it was. I mean, the whole team. We work together a lot. Like we have a good team. It's a you know, and this product is definitely a uh, cumulus effort. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> this is going to be a fun episode. <laughs> I just love how it's it's the cloud thingy built by the team that cannot be named. Right. Yes. Yes. That's nebulous. It's, <laughs> it's all kind of foggy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's I don't know, it's fun. It's a good team, you know. I'm trying to think of other stuff that's not Oh, I have a new hobby now, which is building mechanical keyboards. Oh, wow. And I've spent way too much money on this hobby. So don't get into it. <laughs> how do you learn how to build a mechanical keyboard? Do you just take it apart and try to put it back together? No, or no, I'm watching bought... you. <laughs> I bought a kit. I bought a kit uh, to build a. It's called an ErgoDox, and they just have instructions on the website. That was my first one. I built an ErgoDox, and there was just a bunch of instructions, and I followed them. Like basically, I was getting like. I started to get, you know, RSI. Um, my hands were hurting, so I bought one of these, like, they're little exercise balls, a gyroscope thing. I bought one of those, and I was working out with that, and then I also thought, well, I probably ought to switch up my keyboard situation. So I was reading around about ergonomic keyboards and decided to go for this one. I mean, actually, Gary Bernhardt was tweeting about how he had this keyboard and liked it a lot, so I got one, too. And it's really awesome. It was very hard to build, I have to admit. There are, um, what is it, 76 surface mount diodes you have to solder. And oh, my course, goodness. Yes, and then, of course, 76 keys. So it was a lot of soldering, but I did it, and I'm really happy with the keyboard. Is it one of those things where if you mess it up, it kind of explodes? No. Okay. No, not that at all. Part. That would have been fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about the keyboard, though, is you can you can program the firmware. So basically, it has an Arduino on it, essentially. So you can program it to do whatever you want to. So, for example, one thing I do is I have a key that's for... You can have dual-purpose keys. So I'm a Vim user. So one of my keys is, if you tap it, it's escape. But if you hold it, it's control. So, oh, that's fancy. It's really nice. I like it a lot. Anyway, so after I built that one, I've started building more of them, and it's become an expensive hobby. Clearly, <laughs> if you are a Vim or Emacs user, this is the next step. Build your own editor. Now you've got to build your own keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> I could totally see putting one of those dual-purpose keys on here and then having my wife try and use my computer. Oh, yeah. When you build your own keyboard, you I don't think you ever get keys that are labeled. I mean, my keys are totally unlabeled. There's no... It's impossible. Nobody can use it. <laughs> that you should bad. switch it to Dvorak. I actually use the Norman layout. Norman? Really? Yes. 
Yeah. Did you build yeah. that yourself? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a layout. So it's a layout. Basically, it's actually really cool that the person who made the layout, his name is Norman, basically said, okay, so I guess his theory was like, people who switch to Dvorak or people who, you know, many people try out Dvorak, but they don't switch to it because the keyboard shortcuts are not there, right? Like you have all the muscle memory from QWERTY for your keyboard shortcuts, like copy paste and quit and all that stuff. So what he wanted to do was take QWERTY and try to uh, increase the, the efficiency of QWERTY, but change as few keys as possible. So it's close to QWERTY, but much easier on your hands. Interesting. Have you noticed a difference in your typing speed with all these crazinesses that you're doing? Oh, so this is the worst. I'm extremely embarrassed to say this, but before I switched, I forgot to measure my speed. So I have no idea. (laughs) Well, having paired with you in the past, I can tell you that maybe you need to slow down because you were blindingly fast and I had no idea what was going on. (laughs) I think that was query time. So I bet I don't know. I'm back to what feels normal normal speeds, but it's definitely less effort. And my hands, like I, I don't have any pains anymore, so I'm very happy. It's awesome. That's really what matters. Do you enjoy typing more now? Oh yeah. Well, let me tell you, typing the mechanical keyboard, like it's not the layout. Like get a mechanical keyboard, just do it. It's so nice to type on. It's so nice. You can get some, there's, I special. I was going to do this in the pick section. I recommend like the, maybe the Ducky. There's a company called Ducky that makes mechanical keyboards. You don't need to build it yourself. You can just buy one and it's got all the keys labeled and whatnot, but you get all the advantages of a mechanical keyboard. So just like, especially as programmers, like sitting, you know, typing all day, you should definitely get it, invest in a good keyboard. It's worth it. I remember my first computer that I owned on my by myself. It was a Timex Sinclair with a membrane keyboard, and it had basic keywords printed on them, so you could like press a function key and make it say "go to." <laughs> Not so super great for typing speeds. Okay, since it's an Arduino on your on your keyboard, you can do that. You can totally do that. Have a go to key. That's amazing. The key that must <laughs> not be pressed. Yes. Another cool thing it does is it does layers. Like uh, imagine you have multiple shift keys, essentially. So I have one layer where basically my right hand is a numpad and the left hand is all symbols. So I don't have to go to the top row to get programming symbols or numbers, which is nice. That's interesting. Sorry, I'm I'm probably nerding out about keyboards too much now. (laughs) I think it's awesome. Actually, David Brady picked an ErgoDox keyboard on episode 147. Ah, well, I recommend it. You should get one. Yeah, I think he uses one. I think he switched back and forth from it a few times because I've I've spent time with him using it and not using it. Gotcha. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what he uses now. My second one, I got I got uh, an Atreus, and I built that. That's uh, you might know him, Technomancy. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, he he came up with this keyboard, and he sells a kit on his website, and you can buy it. And it's a pretty nice keyboard. It's essentially, basically what he wanted to do is an ErgoDox for travel, essentially. That's mostly what that keyboard is. Like, ErgoDox is too big to carry around, really. So the one that he did is a, a small travel size mechanical keyboard. And I take that with me now. 
So the, the problem with getting a mechanical keyboard in a custom layout is now I can't use any other keyboard. <laughs> yeah. I try to use a laptop keyboard, and I'm like, this is impossible. I just give up. I'm like, this is not, I can't, I make typos all the time, it's too slow, I'm done. That's going to be a handy skill. <laughs> this morning, for the first time, I used a mechanical keyboard, and it is awesome. It's, like, springy and loud, which is great, because I get to prove to everyone in the office that I'm actually working. <laughs> I love it. So I have proof. <laughs> so what you're saying is the more noise the keyboard makes, the yeah. better. The better the code is. That's, that's the rule. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how that works. I just have an MP3 that plays loud clinking noises. <laughs> <laughs> that's better. I don't know when I'm looking when I'm looking at some code. I I can tell I'm like yeah I can really see that this was typed on a mechanical keyboard. <laughs> In really our video tell. conferences, we call that strong typing. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> look at that less than key. It's really on there, huh? <laughs> so, Aaron, I think I remember seeing on Twitter that you've been ordering keycaps by the pound. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's for the sausages. What did you I finally bought, settle on? Uh, so that's like one of the problems with keyboards, mechanical keyboards, is it's really easy to replace the keycaps. So like, I always see these awesome designs, and I'm like, I gotta have that. And I just spend way too much money on it. Like, I haven't settled on one right now. My my Ergodox has a Nyan Cat theme on it. So. <laughs> Pretty much, it's it's basically a giant rainbow if you look at it. That's but amazing. I can't I can't settle. I have hundreds of keycaps. I bought three, so that I did buy a bulk set like three pounds of keycaps. But there are like a lot of more rejects, or it was basically a a thing of rejects, right? So not all of them were usable. Island of Misfit keycaps. Yes, exactly. <laughs> nice. So you change your keycaps like some people change their nail polish. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. That's so cool. I can tell you my wife's not a huge fan of the keycaps or the mechanical keyboards. <laughs> it's too loud. Yeah, that's the concern that I've had because I've looked at them for a while, but I would have to switch keyboards when I'm podcasting. Yeah. Is she upset because they're too loud or because she can't type on them? Too loud. Okay. Well, and she can't type on it. But, <laughs> I mean, she has her own computer, so it's fine. Gotcha. You can get different kinds of switches. So this is, that's, okay, you know what? I'm just going to keep going with it. I don't care. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. You can get, they have tons of different kinds of switches, ones that are louder, ones that are quieter, ones that have smooth action, ones that have, like, you know, a bump. When you press them down, you feel a bump. And then you can also get these little, like, rubber O-ring things to make them quieter. So I, I actually bought the quieter switches, although they're still loud. Aaron, did you see the announcement Apple did recently for the new MacBook? They changed the the kind of switch they're using on their keys. Did I didn't know that? that. No. Yeah, the, yeah. I guess the current switch is kind of like a, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just uh, kind of like a catapult almost, and that it just kind of leans back and and it's kind of wobbly and stuff. But on the new MacBooks, they have a, a butterfly switch, so it kind of goes both ways. And uh, it's supposed to make for a more stable key and stuff like that. It looked interesting. Interesting. Another thing I like about my ErgoDocs is instead of... So, you know, normal keyboards are row-staggered. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, 
the ErgoDocs' column staggered. So rather than, you know, when you're typing, when you switch rows on a row-staggered keyboard, you have to move diagonally, right? Okay. So if you look at, like, look at your keyboard, and if you look at the keys above it, you have to move your hand diagonally to get to the next rows, where the ErgoDocs' column staggered. So to get to the next row, you move directly up or directly down. So it's supposed to be less effort than moving That's diagonally. And that is also a huge cause of typos for me when I switch keyboards. So you're reaching for Q and you get QW or something? Yeah. Interesting. So what have oh. you been typing on this fancy keyboard, Aaron? I don't know. Maybe like three months or four months, something like that. It took me like three weeks to get back to normal speeds, but it's, I don't know. I like it. Awesome. Well, I'm going to switch gears on us here a little bit. James, you were the next least recent, I guess, person. You retired from the show on episode 174. What have you been up to these days? I have been doing three things. I've been listening to the Ruby Rogues podcast. Oh, not those guys. Which is surprisingly awesome to be able to just listen and have all this great content delivered and not have to do anything about it. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I have been programming a bunch of games in my spare time, learning how to make games, and that's been something I've been working on. And I've been teaching kids how to program. That sounds like so many questions about all of those things. All right, bring it on. (laughs) Okay, so... Making games, like video games? Yes, actually. So what are you using? Like, I got into programming because I wanted to learn how to make games. And then I got busy and got jobs and stuff like that, and I basically never made games. And so I decided I was really going to sit down and figure out how to do it. And, um, yeah, I've been reading tons of great books about it and stuff like that, and then... Uh, as far as what I've been using, I've tried all kinds of things. I've, I've used, um, uh, existing engines like Game Salad and stuff like that. And then I've, uh, I've gone and played with like just kind of frameworks. Uh, Ruby has Gosu, uh, which I've played with a bit. And then I've rolled my own game engines in, well, mostly Dart, actually, Google's Dart language, uh, a little bit in Ruby to a lesser extent, but yeah. Playing with all kinds of game stuff. Did you see that Unreal license there, or open up the uh, license for their engine? I did see that, yeah. I followed Unreal and Unity and stuff like that, and uh, I haven't gone to playing with those yet. Uh, I'm still, you know, figuring out the basics. I did read a really good book called Game Programming Patterns. Uh, it's really awesome. It's like a, a patterns book, you know, like, uh, design, uh, the Gang of Four book and books like that. But it's kind of nice because it all focuses on games. So, you know, the, the Gang of Four book is one of the amazing, great books of all time, but it really has no context. You know, you have to take everything at kind of an abstract level. So the cool thing about this game book is that, you know, you can, you can learn similar stuff. I mean, obviously it's focused toward games. But with context, right, you can, it's related to this overall theme of games and stuff. So I find that kind of thing, like, much more palatable, and I've learned a ton from it. We had a hackathon at a ThoughtBot two weeks ago, I think it was, and so we built a game just to kind of see how it worked just for fun. And we used Unity, uh, Unity Game Engine, and it was just a two-day hackathon. And by the time we had finished building our very, you know, easy beginner-level game, and I was playing it, 
I remembered how much I didn't like video games. <laughs> and it was, I was like, oh, this is really fun. And I was playing it and I was like, oh, wait, I don't, I don't actually want to do this anymore. I don't like so this. I, was, I don't like this. But I was, have you uh, used like 3D modeling software before, like Blender or anything? Yeah. Uh, like yeah, when I was a kid, I used to love to play with ray tracers. So mm-hmm. Pavre and things like that. I've used Blender and I have a 3D printer. So oh, I, nice. I use CAD software to design, you know, objects that I print and stuff. So. Yeah, so for Unity Engine, I was very surprised to find out how similar it was to using Blender. And I don't like Blender, because Blender just is really hard and tedious and annoying. But yeah, I found the tools to be very similar. Is that true for all gaming engines, or is that just a Unity thing? I think Unity's probably, Unity and Unreal especially, are probably the cream of the crop right now as far as, you know, handle a lot of things for you, you know. Mm -hmm. And then if you drop down to something like Gosu, which is in Ruby... That's much more, you're on your own, you know, here's a few things to give you a window, give you the ability to manage some sprites and stuff like that, but more, you got to handle everything, you know, so that's a much more frustrating experience if you're trying to do a a big thing and start from scratch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What type of gas do you use in a game engine? (laughs) Um, The noisy kind? kind Diesel. more. Yeah. So those Mountain Dew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you but know, the sugar is murder on the mechanics. Right. It's funny, but when you learn to program games, and Saran kind of hit on this, but like it's kind of tough. Like there's a lot yeah. going on, and you know when you program web apps all day every day, which is what I do, the flow through a web app is pretty calm, pretty easy. You know that. User's gonna hit you with some request, you have to do something and respond, you know, whereas to even get started with a game, the very first thing you have to do is like roll a loop, you know, an event loop where you can continue animating something on screen while you're paying attention to the keyboard and stuff, you know. So I found I've learned a lot of stuff just from the patterns and stuff. And even, even that's helped me quite a bit in my job as far as when we're doing like asynchronous things at work and stuff like that. So it's a pretty valuable bit of knowledge, I think. I love playing video games. Love it. Love it. But every time I think about programming a video game, I'm like, ah, oh, it sounds too hard. I'm out. It is really tough. So even after you learn how to, you know, do things like roll a game loop and stuff like that and keep track of events, that's basically like, the beginning, right? Then you have to worry about things like, okay, now you need a game, right? You need things like gameplay mechanics and story and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it's surprisingly involved. I've learned a ton. You know, I was surprised to to know that it makes sense, though. Like, when I think of, of video games, it's just kind of like this big black box of, you know, I have no idea where to even begin, you know, to to take it apart. But after spending just you know, a day and a half, two days using Unity Engine, it, like, all the pieces were straightforward. Now, actually executing on each piece and making it an enjoyable game is, like, a whole other thing. But, you know, on a very high level, like, structurally, it it wasn't as insane and intricate as I thought it was going to be. I don't know if you felt that way. Yeah, yeah, they have their own way of doing things, right? right. They have their, like, rails, their, their way of constructing things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and once yeah. you understand the framework, then, you know, the details is where the, the hard part comes in. Yeah, I agree. That's been fun. So are you targeting in-browser games, or are you targeting more 
of the the desktop style games, or are you just playing around? I've been doing a lot more playing around and a lot less worrying about like who could play this. You know, okay. mostly it's just been me, my friends, my wife, that kind of thing. But if I were to do a game these days, you know, it, it, I guess it would depend on the kind I would do. But I'm I'm not a big 3D, you know, heavy performance kind of stuff. I'm more of a strategy gamer kind of thing. And for something like that, I would almost surely do in browser these days. Just, I mean, you can do pretty great stuff in the browser. And if you don't need that insane performance and stuff, easy way to get a game to everybody. But that's just my personal enjoyment. How do you come up with stories and stuff for the game? Because that's another aspect where I'm just like, eh, it's too hard. Yeah, so there's a really cool answer to that question. I've been reading a book that basically walks you through. So chapter by chapter, it does things like, okay, so let's talk about puzzles or let's talk about, you know, story. Let's talk about characters. Let's talk about, you know, all the various aspects of a game. And it goes through and it talks about the different things and it gives you ideas and it gives you systems for creating them. And then at the end of each chapter there is a set of exercises and it's basically a bunch of activities they have you do to practice that kind of thing and get better at it. So like anything, it's a skill and you can practice it and get better at it. So, yeah. James, you mentioned teaching programming to kids. Are you using games as a framework for that? So a little bit, yes. That's part of the reason I've been playing with them a lot. And I I would like to do more there and stuff. But what I've currently been doing mostly is using things like robotics, so like Lego Mindstorms, MIP. My daughter has this little robot called MIP uh, that we play with a lot, and things like that. But also, in December, I went to my daughter's school and taught some classes for Computer Science Awareness Week, and we use the Code.org website, uh, where they have lots of games on there that, that kids play and get some of the programming basics. So yes and no, but yes. Awesome. We just had Katrina join us. Yay. Hi, Katrina. Sorry. Hi. This is- <laughs> <laughs> um, it's all good. I am in a noisy place and I don't have a headset, so please bear with me. That's fine. It's kind of general noise, so it's not a problem. So what, right, what are we talking about? Sorry, totally catch me up or just like ignore me and type stuff in the chat. We've been talking to James about writing computer games. That's awesome. <laughs> so what have you been doing with teaching kids, James? All kinds of stuff. Like, uh, So I, I mentioned that I went to my daughter's school and, and taught some classes there. I taught five classes over like a week to fourth and fifth graders. And that is just crazy awesome. If you haven't tried that, you, you should definitely do it. They were just ate it up. The, you know, I showed them very basic stuff using like the code.org website. So, you know, they're, they're mainly playing games like trying to get the zombie, you know, away from the plants and like plant versus zombies or get the birds to the piggies, you know, things like that. Uh, they have a, on an Elsa one where you're designing these geometric shapes and ice. And it's really just kind of simple algorithmic thinking, you know, like move forward, turn right, move forward, turn right, that kind of stuff. But man, they had a blast. I mean, you know, I had different class sizes, but I'd sit there and play with them for like an hour and a half and then time would come and we'd, we'd start 
putting things around. I'd, I'd be like, you ready to get out of here? And they were like, no, you know, they wanted to keep going and learn more and just super into it. And that's been really awesome for me. Oh, so I, I saw a talk by Joseph Wilk at RubyConf Australia, and he talked about using music to teach kids programming. And one of the interesting things he brought up is that, you know, concurrency is one of those issues that a lot of people have trouble with. And when you're doing music, concurrency is sort of a core to it. And it's a great way to teach a concept like that. Do you find the same to be true in games programming? That's a good question. I haven't really thought about it much. Yeah, I think definitely it applies. Actually, my first thought when you said uh, using music to teach kids programming. So a friend of mine has a kid that is interested in programming. And the other day, I just grabbed a Raspberry Pi 2 and set it up so that when I see him later this week, I can be like, here, you should play around with this, you know. And Raspberry Pis are just like perfect for that, I think, because like, here, kid, here's a $35 computer. Totally destroy it. I don't care, you know, or, you know, even if you nuke the hard drive, quote unquote, I'm going to pop out the SD card, reflash it, and we're good to go, you know. So that kind of stuff is great. But on the Raspberry Pi 2, when you load the basic OS, it comes with Sonic Pi on it. And Sonic Pi is a musical programming environment that programs in, get this, Ruby. <laughs> so you can like sit there and write Ruby code and you're making music like right there live. And they encourage you to do it live. So like what you were talking about with concurrency and stuff where like, you know, it, the sound's going and then you make another sound and change it or change the beats or whatever. And you're, you're just editing it live. And it's awesome. It's like totally great to play with. They have big tutorials. They get into things like iteration and loops like really fast. Whereas, you know, usually, you know, we do that kind of slower in programming and stuff. So I found that to be really interesting. When you're doing game programming, do you ever say to yourself, do you think this is a game? <laughs> <laughs> Cause I would do that. Well, now I'm going to. <laughs> Except every time I think that, I think I'm going to tweet you, Aaron, and ask you if you think it's a game. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Should, uh, should we see what uh, Katrina's been up to? We should definitely see what Katrina's been up to. I don't know. I'm not doing anything interesting. I just go to work and I go home again. What do you work? so not true. Yeah, what do you work? Things all the time. I work at Splice.com, so I'm making software for uh, music production. DJs and that sort of thing. It's collaboration software. It's really cool. I'm totally enjoying that, and it's lots of big, hard problems. But I don't actually feel like I'm doing much, like, talk-worthy about... So you well, moved from Denver to California, if I remember right. Yeah. And you're not doing the G-School thing anymore. No, teaching was too rough for me. I don't have the, what's it called, fortitude <laughs> to do teaching. <laughs> Lacking the constitution to do teaching, so I'm shipping software. I'm senior minion at Splice. It's oh, awesome. There you go. Do you get to wear the cool goggles and overalls? <laughs> Sorry, no goggles. Oh. Now I want them, though. Well, so how do you get to work? I walk. Ah. Oh, that'd be okay. nice. Oh, wait. Never mind. I work from home. <laughs> <laughs> What about conferences, Katrina? Aren't you in? Are you in England right now, or were recently? I so I got home like uh, I guess it's eight hours ago now. <laughs> oh wow! Uh-huh. Yeah, England was amazing. It was so good. The conference I was at Bath Ruby with 
a few other people, among them Saran, and it was a fantastic conference, really, really well put on. And then I spent the whole weekend in Bath, not doing anything except like hanging out with awesome people. And I don't think I've done that for a long time. It was really good. Did you Does that make your to- fingertips all wrinkly? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I was gonna make the fun. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Katrina, you just named three really interesting things. You had a move and a job switch, and you have a really interesting job that you're working at now, making interesting software, and you went to an awesome conference and hung out with awesome people, and, okay, what you do is interesting. Thanks. <laughs> well, the thing I always think was funny about Katrina is she'd she'd totally downplay what she'd been doing, and then a couple episodes later, we'd find out that, yeah, she mentioned something in passing that we were all, like, super interested in. Oh, don't worry. If she didn't bring up Bath Ruby, I would have definitely brought it up for her, and then I would have made her feel guilty for not bringing it up. So, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, okay, so I'm totally doing interesting stuff. I guess the kind of interesting thing to say is that I work in Go full-time, not Ruby anymore. How's We're- that going? Hey, let's... Oh, oh, oh. Let's talk about that a little, though, because actually that came up on a really recent Ruby Rose episode, 198, I believe, uh, with Mark and Scott. And they talked about how the Go community was like a really interesting place. What do you think, Katrina? I think it is totally, absolutely a <laughs> really interesting place. Sorry, the chat caught me out. So Go programmers are a lot less reckless sort of in general than Ruby programmers which is a really interesting thing in and of itself, I think. I'm a little bit curious about how that came to be, and I, I, I think it might be that Go programmers, even though the programmers themselves might not always come out of the sort of lower, close-to-the-metal systems programming, the culture seems to have come a lot out of there. And in that culture, people are a lot more careful about things that can go wrong, things that potentially can be disastrous, about being aware of what your dependencies are and managing them a lot more closely than just sticking something in a gem file and kind of thinking it's going to be okay. So that's really interesting. And people in general in the Go community, it seems like people are a lot more willing to dive really deep uh, into the internals of how things work. And in Ruby, a few people are like that, but the sort of general population of I would almost say Rails programmers more than Ruby programmers are just kind of content to accept that however it's designed to happen, as long as I type the right thing in the right place, it's going to work. And I don't really necessarily need to understand that. So that's pretty cool. Interesting. How do you like working without exceptions? I love it. (laughs) Really? Yeah. So I didn't necessarily know whether I liked it or not for the first maybe half year. And then a couple weeks ago, I went into one of my open source projects And I had a three-line method where on every line there could be at least one nil that I was just totally ignoring. And I was like, how am I going to get the error back to the caller? Okay, so that's an interesting point. What you're saying you like about it is it it forced you to think about the edge cases and the error cases, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, and be very explicit about it so that I'm passing the error back and then somewhere in the place where I know exactly, like, in a web API, I want to be dealing with the errors in the controller. I want to know exactly what the errors are because depending on what errors I got, I'm going to handle them very differently. 
Some of it I might just log and move on. Other other things I might actually want to create something explicit that gets sent back to the user. And in Ruby, I would have to catch exceptions. And even like in Ruby, I, I just wasn't as aware of everything that could go wrong. And so I was going to get no, you know, no method errors all, all over the place. So Ruby as a language compared to Go, Ruby makes the easy path, the path of ignoring possible errors. Mm-hmm. Makes the happy path look all flowery and, and pretty. Yeah. Whereas Go encourages dealing with the errors right away where you have the information for them. Yeah. It's very explicit. There's there's very little, like, um, just assuming that it'll be fine. <laughs> no. Oh, it's fine. It's going to be fine. That's very not Go-ish. I've seen, doesn't that mean that your code gets really littered with conditionals, though? I mean, I've seen some Go code that's like, if error, if error, like, every three lines. Yep, pretty much. It's, on the one hand, I, you know, I have this sort of visceral dislike of the conditionals, but on the other hand, because it's so explicit, it becomes, I don't know, I feel like I can ignore it as part of the reading the code, like, my eyes will just kind of skip lightly past that. It's spoilerplate, I understand it, um, Mm. and why it's there. Interesting. So the, the reason that is, is like every function in Go needs to return something of like whether or not this succeeded or was an error state. So then it's almost always followed by a conditional to be like if this succeeded or if it didn't. Yeah. Right? Not yeah. every, not every function. If, yeah. if it could be an error state, then, then the function is very likely to pass back two values, one for the value that you expected and one for the error state. Or if it's just a command, it would maybe just pass back an error which might be nil. Gotcha. I think that's really important because in Ruby, we tend to think just about the happy path. And the fact is the happy path is kind of the the boring part where software gets really interesting is in all those edge cases that people like to ignore, but we shouldn't. Yeah. The errors always make good stories later. Like, Oh, you remember that time where you discovered how many bind variables you can have in MySQL? Ha ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, and there. That's an interesting point. That's that's a cool thing to think about. That's cool. Go, go, go. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't help it. So Katrina, did you also not win a Ruby Hero Award last year? Yeah, but that's a long time ago, right? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, just checking. Didn't you also do a workshop with Sandy Metz? Yeah, okay, so that's really awesome. We should totally talk about that. Sandy is teaching a class that people thought was going to be based on Pooter, but it's totally not. It is a class that came out of some sort of playing around that we did a while back on the 99 Bottles of Beer song. Back when I started Exorcism, I saw a lot of solutions to the 99 Bottles of Beer, and all of them were really, really awful. And at some point, I was said to Sandy, I don't know if there is a good solution to this song. It seems like everyone is just kind of deciding which rug to sweep all the ugliness under. And of course, she took that as a challenge. And so we went back and forth for several months trying to figure out if there was a good solution to the beer song. And we discovered a lot of really interesting things, the most important being that you can teach all of object-oriented programming using that song. So Sandy wow. put together a course. Yeah, Sandy put, to a, put together a course. Originally, it was like five days long, but now it's three days. And um, she teaches it a lot in private like companies, that type of setting. And 
I've co-taught that with her and so have a lot of other people. Sarah May, Avdi Grimm, Matt Wynn, a few people have helped out with that. And it's really, really interesting. Some of the concepts that have come into play here are very, very basic, very, very simple, and yet it's... I don't even know how to say this. There, there are ideas that came out of working with the beer song that I kind of maybe had a fuzzy idea about earlier, but now I would be able to very clearly articulate sort of pros and cons and, and interesting things about both TDD and refactoring and object-oriented programming, which is just completely really cool. Wow. Is that it sounds that, like fun. Are you working on a book about that? Yeah, I am. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're all here to remind Katrina of the awesome things that she's doing. <laughs> no kidding. The book is going to be awesome. It's just really hard to write. I don't like talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you're web famous, remember us little people. Yeah. That's right. When I have my seven seconds of fame on Twitter, I'll totally. Right. <laughs> That's right. You have a YouTube video on bottles of beer go viral. That's exactly what's going to happen, I'm sure. Actually, Katrina, I've seen your talks about, I think it was one you gave in California about the, maybe this one was the the conversation with Bob, not the 99 bottles of beer, where you went through the various solutions on that came in for the Bob problem on exorcism. And that is a really good talk. Everybody should go watch. Thanks. I'll put a link to that somewhere. I had a lot of fun. I don't know. I really like this idea of learning deep truths from toy problems because it kind of takes away the necessity of being able to understand, you know, shipping containers and term loans and all of these things that people use to describe the hard concepts in refactoring or object-oriented design. And even if you haven't heard the beer song, if, even if you didn't grow up singing it on the bus or whatever, it doesn't take very much to understand the domain. That's a really good point. Awesome. Saran, what have you been up to? So I don't remember exactly when I like left the Ruby Rogues, but in the past, I guess like five to six months, what have I been up to? So I've been working on Code Newbie. I got a couple of months to work on that full time, uh, which is a lot of fun. And we have our weekly podcast, our discussion forum. And this month, we're actually doing a focus on hardware, which is very new to me. I don't know anything about hardware and I'm learning. And so doing like blog posts and content and episodes and all this stuff with um, hardware which is interesting. And um, yeah, and I'm also a developer apprentice at ThoughtBot, just finished my second month, which is just amazing. I get to just work with these amazing developers who know so much and learning and working on client projects. So yeah, that's basically what I've met to. Oh, and I also got married, which feels important Woo! as well. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, we snuck off and eloped in San Diego on New Year's Eve. And um, my mother, in response, decided to throw herself a small party. And so she sent me, yeah, she sent me a picture of her and, like, you know, my immediate family with, like, cake and champagne and, like, a picture of me when I was a kid. And she was like, look what we're doing. Uh, all right. Well, all congratulations. Right. <laughs> Thank awesome. you. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to. So, Saran, in playing with hardware, have you looked at the Nan to Tetris stuff at all? No, I don't know what that is. And now I feel like I must go look it up. Okay. <laughs> It's kind of interesting. A buddy of mine and I have been playing with it, but it's this book that you can get called... I can't remember because it's not called The Obvious Thing. I'll look it up. The Elements of Computer Systems or something like that. Anyways, it's a book, and you go through it chapter by chapter, and it starts at the very bottom. 
assuming you have the NAND logic gate for not AND, and that turns out to be one of the universal logic gates that, given that, you can build a computer. And that's what the book is about. Uh, it's about, you know, you step up, so you're building... In the first chapter, you're building like the other logic gates and or XOR, the things like that. And then you get into higher level stuff and start building chips like RAM and registers and, and things like that. And eventually you're putting all that together into like, you know, a CPU uh, with, with an ALU and stuff like that. You, then you start writing machine language on top of that. And this is all simulated. You don't actually like slaughter things because... I'm not as hardcore as Aaron is, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, it's all simulated and you build all the way up. Uh, that's the level I am now is, is in the machine language stuff, but it goes through operating systems and virtual machines onto a higher level programming language. And then eventually, you know, the goal is to write Tetris. So the idea is you start with an AND gate and you keep going until you get to a point where you've written Tetris on your own computer that you built. So what you're saying is that NAND is the uh, gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I haven't put anything quite that complicated yet. What I've been, um, it's actually, it's funny, because I've mostly been talking to other people about their projects. So we had um, the evangelist from Raspberry Pi on the show this week, actually, and he was talking about like his side projects. And we had uh, Julia Grace from Tindy come on and talk about like the hardware marketplace. And um, it's been a lot of kind of talking to other people about what they do more so than it is me actually doing stuff, which is how I'm going to kind of get away with not doing anything. Um, <laughs> but yeah, at some point I'm actually going to buy like a Raspberry Pi or Arduino and actually do stuff. I would totally recommend a Raspberry Pi. I've played with multiple versions now and you know i mentioned earlier that i just got done setting one up for a friend but like they are just so playable with <laughs> yeah, yeah whatever <laughs> it's it's so much fun to just mess around with them simple computer you got the pins right there if you want to hook it to something and and figure out the basics it's a linux machine so you can use whatever language you want like ruby or whatever you know and yeah total blast to play with i can't recommend them enough Awesome. Oh, and yeah, and of course, I, I spoke at Bathroomy with Katrina. Katrina, it was so awesome getting to, like, spend multiple days with you and just hang out and talk. And I just want everyone to know how amazing you are, in case they didn't know already. It was a lot of fun. I couldn't agree more. Just being able to talk without it being all about business or all about anything. Yeah. Just, I think we spent, like, two hours in hot water just chatting about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And amazing. Yeah, it was really, really great. And we got to hang out with, like, Sandy Metz and... And Ben and a few other people in London. It was great. Also, British accents are amazing. They're just so beautiful to be around all the time. English food, not quite as exciting. English breakfast. English breakfast specifically. Ever. <laughs> not quite as good, but I like to think that I was, I was open to the, the culture and I tried a lot of things, so. I had some good luck with the English food when I would go into the pubs. Oh, what'd you get? You know, lots of times just really things you would think like are, Simple dishes, fish and chips and stuff like that, but I would be, like, blown away. Like, some of the best fish I ever had. I can't believe I left without getting fish and chips. I totally forgot about fish and chips. Yeah, good stuff. I had I had the best luck in the pubs when I went to the pubs. Yeah. Very cool. So should we move on to talking about the last 
year or so, the last hundred episodes of Ruby Rogues. I know James is chomping at the bit to talk about a particular episode that was fairly recent. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. do it. Yeah, can we talk about 198? That was the one I brought up earlier that mentioned the Go community. That was a really good episode. I guess it'll be two episodes ago from when this one airs. Mm-hmm. It was really good, but there were some parts in it that were, well, Scott and Mark, they were on talking about basically spreading the happiness of Ruby to other communities. And their enthusiasm and excitement is, like, infectious and amazing, and we can only hope it spreads through the entire tech community with, like, wildfire, because it was great. But there were some parts in there where they talked about Ruby being kind of a... I don't want to use the word superior, but like being. But they a, did. But, <laughs> but they did, right? Thank you, Jessica. Uh, it being a great community overall, and maybe I think at least better than some of the other communities. And my, I would definitely just like to respond to that and just say, you guys got to get out more. Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of cool stuff out there. You know, having spent a significant portion of time playing around in Dart's community. I, I mean, I wouldn't say that it holds the same place for me as the Ruby community, but I have been exposed to lots of new things and some kind of amazing things. And now I have features that, like, I want to beg mats for in Ruby and, you know, things like that. And and there's a lot of great stuff out there. The hardware hacking communities, the maker communities. If you haven't been to your local maker space you are probably missing something awesome. Uh, here in Oklahoma City, we have one that's just like this giant warehouse with all these machines that I'm pretty sure 90% of them would be an awesome way to lose an arm. And they're just like, <laughs> I have no idea what these things do. And so many cool people there just building stuff. And that's a super cool community. Katrina talked about Go just a couple minutes ago, and they did too on, on the podcast. But yeah, I would just say that like Ruby is great, and I love Ruby, and I agree that we should send happiness everywhere to the four corners of the earth. But there is some seriously cool stuff out there, and if Ruby's all you've seen, you got to get out more. I guess that's one reason the discussions on this show have broadened. Yes, that's true. The recent episode you did on... Closure testing was mind-blowing for me. Oh, good. That was fun. Yeah, that was a great episode. And I've noticed that you're talking about lots of broader things, and it's awesome. I think that's one thing that I get a lot of feedback from people. You know, they email me, and they're like, I love Ruby Rogues. And then it's, I love some other show. And the some other show is what they actually do. And Ruby Rogues has enough broad topics that they listen to it, you know, in spite of the fact that it has Ruby in the name. I agree. That's a great I, endorsement. I think that has a lot to do with your awesome new panelists like Jessica and Coraline. Ah. <laughs> I can't argue. It's it's so nice to kind of have the switch in perspective. You know, and Jessica brings kind of this outsider's view a little bit because she doesn't do Ruby regularly. And Coraline just has all kinds of interesting experience that I don't. And so it's always fun to hear exactly what she's been working on and exploring. So I, I totally agree. I meet people at, at other conferences. I, I only make it to about one Ruby conference a year. Um, and all the other ones, let's see, I've got an Erlang guest coming up and another one who does F-sharp regularly. That's awesome. 
I was actually at one conference with you, Jessica, and I didn't even get to talk to you because I was deathly ill at the time. <laughs> oh, James, I remember that conference that was Ruby Midwest in 2012. It was my uh, first Ruby conference. That's right. It was still like the most bond forming conference that I remember. It was a small single track and the room was small. So everybody had to sit right next to each other. And there were two keynoters. Michael Feathers came in and basically told us what he'd been thinking about on the back of the napkin on the airplane ride. Which was and awesome. It, it, it was interesting. But you, yeah. you, despite being sick, brought your family and gave a beautiful keynote with gorgeous slides that you clearly put a ton of thought into. And it was fantastic. And you really made the conference. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks. I remember I that presentation, James. That was absolutely stunning. And I have to agree that Ruby Midwest yeah, that Yeah, Caroline was there too. Yeah, that's where I met half of my Ruby friends, at least. And people that I'm still in touch with, that I'm still networking with, some of whom I'm working with now. It was very magical. And I really, really hope they bring it back. Yeah, that was a great conference. I agree. I love networking events. Me too. <laughs> What's been your favorite conference you've been to recently, Aaron? I mean, uh, the reason I love networking events is mainly because of land parties. But um... <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, I got one. I got one. <laughs> nice. My favorite conference. Oh, that's hard. I don't know. It's it's difficult to say. I'm gonna have to pick. I don't want to pick one. It's too hard. It's too hard. No Aaron, point. I had a great memory with you at Keep Ruby Weird, especially when we had the pun off. That was amazing. That was that was super fun. I hope that is... Actually, I was going to say, I hope that wasn't recorded, but I'm very sure that it is. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't put it up online, and I, I really want to see that. No, no, no. <laughs> Nobody needs to see that. I'm actually disappointed. I didn't hear about Keep Ruby Weird somehow until after it had come. It's pretty close to me. It's down there in Austin, so not too far. I should have gone to that. Yeah, so the moral of this section of the episode is find your local Ruby conference and go to it because it's probably going to be awesome, and you may meet some of the best friends you'll ever have in your life. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Before we get any farther, I have to say hi to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Aaron. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Is she a regular listener? Uh, well, she will be. Yeah, she is now. <laughs> Pretty much contractually obligated, you know? Yeah, you get a call out, now we're into the podcast. Yep, yep. Well, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna tell her what time either, so, so I have to listen to the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> She'll be like, you spent five seconds on me and ten minutes on mechanical keyboards! <laughs> <laughs> So, Aaron, speaking of parents, I have to ask you, did you get your pun sense genetically, or was it something that was learned? Uh, my family has always been this way. This is what we do. I was worried it was kind of like an incredible hoax exposed to gamma radiation thing, you know? It's hard to say if it's learned or, I mean, because, like, you know, if my parents are always punning, then <laughs> you can't help it. I mean, come on. So you weren't bit by a radioactive pun spider? No, no. <laughs> mm -mm. So we said hi to Aaron's mom and then talked about her punning and how that's affected Aaron's life in a positive question mark way. Well, it's very positive uh, for me. I mean, you know, I crack myself up. <laughs> when you work at home alone, that's really what you It's need. important. Yeah. 
Aaron, question. Do you yeah. ever go back and watch yourself on video and, and say, aha, I'm so funny? No, I'm deathly afraid of watching myself. Ah,、uh, so it、I'm, is just me. I'm too afraid. <laughs> you watch Aaron on video and say, aha, that's funny. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> You know, that's, that's actually funny, the watching yourself on video. I went and gave a talk. I think it was the one I gave at Scottish RubyConf. And then a local group of Ruby users, and they do these kind of lunch and learns where they, you know,、uh, watch a video over lunch and talk about it and stuff. And they decided to watch that one that I gave one day. So they gave me a call knowing I was local and they were like, Would you come out and watch it with us? And I was like,、uh, yeah, sure. That's weird, but I'll do it. And so I went. And it was funny because I'm sitting there watching myself give this talk and I traveled for, I think it was 36 hours to get to Scotland. And then I slept for like four and then I woke up and I was the second talk at the conference. So it's, it's hilarious watching it because I'm just sitting there watching myself and I realize I am just like beyond exhausted. I like lost the plot like twice, you know, where I'm just rambling and, and stuff. It was hilarious to watch. Excellent. It is important that you can like look back at that and laugh because yeah. Yeah, I'm、comical. sorry that conference deserved it for scheduling you like that. It was comical. It was awesome. Good. Erin, I think one of the funniest things I've seen you do was the homeopathic refactoring. How did I miss this? <laughs> Keep her be weird. <laughs> That was fun. That was fun. That. He basically was removing code and proving that the code still executed <laughs> down to、yes. a ridiculous level. Because Therefore, it did nothing. The, the program remembered the code that had been present in the white space, yes. In the white space. Yep. That's yep. amazing. So basically, it was a homeopathic optimization. So it's like I have a homeopathic optimizer, and what it would do is like remove. A certain percentage of your code, dilute your code, if you will, but your code would still work. That's awesome. Did that get recorded? Make the code faster, but. Did that get recorded? Yeah. Oh. I'm sure it did. My Google skills are failing me. I think that was Keeper Be Weird, wasn't it, Aaron? Yeah. I, I gave a, I talked about that at Keeper Be Weird. I also condensed it to a lightning talk at RubyConf last year, so you might find it there in the lightning talks. That's awesome. Do you have a homeopathy button on your mechanical keyboard? <laughs> They are all the delete key. <laughs> It's the delete key for sure. So anything else that we want to talk about with the show? Any particular episode? Anything else before we start wrapping up? Can I ask a question generally of the, the four legacy rogues? What's, what's your favorite thing? What changed you and improved you the most about、uh, being on this show and listening to it? It's tough. Uh, I can start with that. Go for it. Jessica, you changed me in being on the show. Because the, the very first episode that you were on, and we kind of talked about this offline and email later, but the very first episode you were on, I was so impressed and taken aback by how assertive you were. And how, like, you know, when I came on the show, you know, way back when, I was so nervous and so self-conscious and, you know, I like wasn't, I felt so just, you know, out of my element. And, you know, it took me even, you know, three months later, I was still, I was getting more comfortable, but I was still really uncomfortable. And, and it wasn't anything anyone did. Everyone was incredibly kind and welcoming, but just, you know, I was just very aware of 
who I was compared to how amazing everyone else was. And I was so impressed by how on day one you came in with your opinions and your thoughts and you were just so bold and so comfortable. And I remember after that episode thinking to myself, man, I gotta do that. <laughs> I need to be more like that. So to me, honestly, that one episode that we did together, the very first one that you were on, really changed a lot about how I carry myself and how I think about things and kind of to do a better job of being present when I'm given the chance to be present. Wow. Thank you. And you helped me in that same episode because you emailed me later and I had no idea that I was interrupting you and totally didn't want to do that. And it helped me so much to learn from that because then I realized what has become one of my favorite things about the Ruby Rogues now is that there's a culture on this podcast of pausing and waiting to see who else wants to speak. We don't have indicators in this Skype recording strategy of who's jumping at the bit to speak. So there's a great culture of pausing and acceptance of silence. I've taken that and I've brought it to other groups and mentioned it that when people like me who are interrupters, not finishers, when we become comfortable with silent spots in the conversation, then more people get to participate. That's a beautiful way to put it. It probably helped when I left the show because I was a talker. <laughs> <laughs> I was Is just going to say, I got worse on the show and it was all James's fault. <laughs> See? See? <laughs> that, that's okay. We, we don't feel bad as long as David's here. so i would say what i got most out of the rogues was that i was constantly surrounded by all these brilliant people like katrina who never does anything interesting and then we can sit there for 30 (laughs) minutes and name all the interesting things she's done recently she just doesn't keep track of them apparently the rest of us do but i was constantly surrounded by all these smart people And so I felt like I had to really work hard and raise my game. Like when we would have a guest on, I would try to go look at the things they've done before they came on, watch one of their talks, read their blog, things like that, so that I felt like I had interesting things to talk to them about. And that was just constantly being around Katrina and Josh and Avdi and Chuck and David. And with all their great questions, I wanted to feel like I was contributing too. And so that really, kind of like Saran said, reminded me to be present and be prepared and and, and know what was going on. And uh, I feel like through that and the amazing influx of guests and stuff like that, that I just learned so much while I was here. So it was a super valuable thing for me. My favorite part is the picks. <laughs> the no, I'm picture. serious. I love it. I love it. You get together and you're like, what's everybody interested in this week? And then, you know, you go check it out, learn some new stuff. I guess what it really boils down to is my favorite thing is learning new stuff. So, I mean, I think that's... interesting about the picks. I think okay. I went broke because of the picks. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find find any value in getting picks from the same person from week to week in addition to the guests who always have brand new things for us? I don't know. I mean, everybody seems to come up with, you know, new and interesting stuff. So whether they're new or regular, it's much the same to me. I mean, the main point is that I learn something new every week, so... And I like the, I like the pick section because it basically, my, basically it's because my attention span is incredibly short. 
So <laughs> you get to the picks section, it's like, okay, this thing, check it out. I've noticed you can go back through my picks and see what I'm into at any given time. Like, I'll have a bunch of picks that are related, you know, to something that I was focusing on, and then you go on to another thing. It's kind of fascinating to me how, from week to week, it's just no problem. There's always something fascinating, either in the backlog or brand new. There's always something to pick. Right. Yeah, one other thing that I think as far as the picks go basically boils down to, yeah, I mean, we're the same people picking stuff every week, but you can tell when somebody's kind of surging forward with their own learning, and it's really interesting to see, okay, uh, Jessica has been playing with this, or that Coraline has been interested in this other thing. I mean, the artificial intelligence stuff talking to Coraline is just really fascinating. And so, you know, all of the different things that you, you know, you can learn from people. So she'll find some new tool or, you know, find a new book or a new music album or anything like that, you know. And so, yeah, getting new stuff from the guest is is nice because you get a little bit of fresh air. But at the same time, I mean, you know, these are people you know and they can give you a lot of context on something that is really fascinating that you weren't exposed to before. And it's just because they are having that experience. And, and finding new things out. So I think it works out nicely both ways. I find that when I'm picking my picks, I have to think back on the previous week to find out, you know, what have I been excited about? Because kind of like Aaron, I have, I have a lot of focus, but I also have kind of a short attention span and I tend to like absorb things and move on. So it's a, it's a time for reflection for me on like what important things have I come across recently. Agreed. As a listener, anyone can do this. I mean, start a blog or tweet or tumble, but maybe take, after you listen to Ruby Rogues, think about what you would pick and throw it out there for the world. Yeah, let us know about it because it's always interesting to see what else is out there that we're just not finding. Yeah, tweet it at Ruby Rogues and uh, maybe Chuck will retweet. Yeah, I can do that. I have the power. Awesome. Katrina, we haven't heard from you yet. The roads gave me two very interesting things. On the one hand, it was this amazing broadening of horizons, just meeting new people, thinking new thoughts, and being exposed to new ideas. And on the other, it was very, very much a sort of personal growth thing of discovering that I had, you know, quirks and limits that I wasn't aware of, and it became um, almost painfully obvious while I was on the roads. And that was incredibly interesting and I started finding sort of new workarounds for things that were difficult and I also decided to stop doing a lot of things that were just too challenging. That's the teaching? Teaching is one of them. The shift to talking less and working like doing more, more action, less less talking was one of the sort of important insights that I had that I don't have um, I'm not very comfortable with having a lot of conversations. Part of it is because I'm not always sure who's supposed to be talking, and it's usually not me. <laughs> so I find it really, really awkward to be in co- a lot of conversations. But also I find that I only have things to talk about if I'm actually doing things. And so when I was, while I was on the rogues, I, I felt like every week I was talking about new things, but the time it took to prepare for that, made it so that I wasn't actually doing anything interesting, and I I found that I had less to talk about in that case. I think you raise a really good point there. Listeners may not know this, but getting together for the rogues is just a 
you know, an hour and 45 minute ish call or something like that. It doesn't sound like very much, but you know, there's guests coming, there's planning about what you're going to talk about, looking into people so that you have something intelligent to say on the show. The people that give their time to the show, they're definitely heroes in my book. They spend a lot of energy on it, even if it's just thinking about it while they're doing other things. And uh, that makes the show great. It's a very big commitment. I will say as a fairly new rogue, it's less time than I thought it was going to be. I usually have an hour or so of watching a video of the next upcoming guest, and occasionally I invite somebody. But between Mandy, who does all of the dirty work of chopping this podcast down and allowing us to take those long pauses because she edits them out, and Chuck, who's got this like down with system, this podcast is, it's pretty well oiled. And yeah, that's a good point. It's fantastic. I am so thankful to be a part of it. Me I had too. one last thing that the rogues gave me kind of by accident. For the year that I was on the rogues, this is another sort of just insight thing. For the year that I was on the rogues, I was always very, very deeply aware of the fact that I was the most junior developer of all the rogues that were on the show. And I would mention that from time to time. And it wasn't until I think Jessica once said that it's really a shame that we're talking about how junior you are because that kind of gives the wrong impression, which is true because I guess a junior developer is maybe someone who has been working for a year or for two, not for ten. And so while it is absolutely a true fact, as they say in politics, that I am more junior than all of the other roads that were on as the t at the time, I realized that by pointing out this fact or by kind of obsessing over this fact, I was probably giving the wrong impression, which is interesting to me. I've definitely observed today, Katrina, you've got self-deprecation down. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't feel like self-deprecation. Like, to me, it's my reality, you know? It's humility, maybe? But to all the women listening to this show, I want to say, okay, if you think you haven't done anything recently... Think about Katrina. She thinks she hasn't done anything interesting recently. And look at what she's doing. It's totally fascinating. And all of our listeners, there's something you're doing that's totally fascinating, too. Yeah, your normal is not somebody else's normal. I think that's really important. That's a great point. Yep. Thank really, you, Katrina. I'd really like to hear what Coraline and Jessica's experience has been over the last few months being on the show. For me, I think my favorite thing is being able to have the opportunity to find the humanity behind the technology, find out the chewy centers of who the people are on the show, kind of what motivates them. Because I think a lot of us have online personas that are hard and have this, you know, this, this shell around us. Um, and, making. <laughs> <laughs> um, and a lot of people, you know, don't really show their humanity in their online presence. So trying to find you know, find that drive, find that passion, find that humanity and the people who are on the show um, is something that is really, really interesting to me and that I try and focus on with my questions. And that's, that's been really amazing and really inspiring. And I'm just, uh, I'm also inspired just by the, the variety of things that people on the show and the panelists are interested in and the perspectives that everyone brings. That's so very eye opening and very humbling. So I'm very grateful to, for the opportunity to spend time every week with such amazing people. You know, piggybacking off that, I'm always impressed by 
how quickly we can shift from something really, really technical to something that is more high level to something that's really just people, you know, about people and just humanities. Like, like the fact that we can talk about humans on a very, you know, kind of cultural, like touchy feely way, but then also go right deep into something really technical. I think it says a lot about, you know, the people that we have and the audience that we have and how they're, they, they like hearing that variety, right? Because everything we build at the end of the day is for other people. So I like seeing that reflected in the show. That's a great point. My experience, I think I talked about it already. I love that this hour and a half, I get to really focus my brain on something, usually something that I didn't pick, and I never know what I'm going to learn. Uh, last week, we talked about deployment and deployment tools and kind of the state of where those are right now. And I used that in conversation like 10 times in the last week. You never know what you're going to get and how useful it's going to be. The hardest thing about being on Ruby Rogues is waiting a whole week to tweet the things. <laughs> I guess I'm the only person who really hasn't talked about my experience on Ruby Rogues today. And honestly, for me, the big thing is just connecting with people. I mean, you know, I've had the opportunity to connect with all of you through the show, all of the other past Rogues and guests. And then it's fun to go to the conferences and, and meet some of these folks. So at Mountain West Ruby Conference, I met Jeremy Evans for the first time. He hasn't been on the show yet, but we'll, we'll work that out. But, you know, I, I met Coraline for the second time at Mountain West Ruby Conference. And just, you know, to have these connections already when I show up is a lot of fun. Um, but I think that the people aspect is really the important thing to me. And, you know, being able to talk to people that I care about, about stuff that I care about, is is really cool. And then going to the conferences and finding out that there are a whole bunch of other people out there who who have uh you know that same kind of connection they're they're not in on the conversation necessarily when we record it but they still feel a part of it and uh you know to feel like they care about some of the stuff that we talked about and they care about the people on the show and they really can connect with a lot of the things that we talk about and for some people the fact that we've made real differences in their lives or careers that's another big payoff is it's just that's what it's about for me. And and that's what I've gotten out of it as well is that, you know, most of the people I talk to here where I'm at have a lot in common with me. And a lot of the rogues have very different worldviews than I do. And so being exposed to that and learning that and having those conversations, you know, kind of offline about the way that we see the world and the way that we see other people and the way that we approach problems and the way that we approach our lives has just really been enlightening to me. And uh, the fact that, you know, you all are so open and and willing to share about your lives and your experiences is just, it really does make this more than just a podcast for me. It makes it feel like, you know, I'm part of a, a family, part of a group. And I, I can't, I just can't thank you guys enough for just being awesome people. Chuck, I, I totally agree. One thing that I've observed about you is you have a commitment and you chase after perspectives that are different from your own and you listen. I love that about you. And I think it really makes the show because Ruby Rogues has a commitment to finding new voices and bringing them in and getting new perspectives and sharing that with the whole community. I love that. Thanks. Thank you, Chuck. Definitely agree. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Group hug. Group hug. <laughs> <laughs> Ruby is in our hugging. Yay. That's right. Yeah, I'm not so sure about all that hugging, y'all. <laughs> a hug is, a, is an implementation of welcome. We discussed that the other day. 
Right, and we shouldn't focus too much on the implementation details. Exactly. So virtual group hug, that's not threatening, right? Um, I hope not. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Insert a conditional in there. Right, right. Right. All right, well, should we get some picks out of our legacy rogues? Pick me, pick me. Can I go first? Go ahead. I have two picks, and they're kind of related. Both of them are novels. Neither of them are programming related. The first is The Speed of Dark by Elizabeth Moon. Uh, and the second is The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime. Both of these novels have as their main character, in one, a young man, in, in another, an adult who is autistic. And it's from their perspective. And both books are very, very beautiful. Uh, and I highly recommend reading them. Awesome. I'll go. All right. So I would like to recommend the Atreus keyboard, since I've been talking about keyboards so much. It's at atreus.technomancy.us. It's a fun keyboard to build, and I learned a lot building it. Uh, And it's fully programmable, just like the ErgoDocs. And it's just a super fun hobby. So if you want to do some fairly easy electronic stuff and have a useful product when you're done with it, I recommend building one of those. Here I go going broke again. <laughs> it's much cheaper than the ErgoDocs, too, so there's that. <laughs> what is much cheaper? Half price, about, I think. That's, so the that's er- good. The ErgoDocs is about 200 if you buy... It's about 200 bucks if you buy it on Masterop, and that's the cheap price. If you buy all the parts like individually, it'll be 250 to 300 And the uh, Atreus is 150 I think. Yeah. All right, well, I can go next. So I have a few picks. Uh, the first one is an app called Be My Eyes, uh, and it's an app that helps connect blind people with volunteers around the world via live video chat. So people who need help, you know, reading what's on a carton or whatever the thing is, um, you can be a part of that network and help people uh, read and interact with their world. And I think it's a really great uh, nonprofit initiative. So check it out. Um, the other one is the hardware campaign that I mentioned a little bit earlier. It is called March is for Makers. So if you're interested in seeing some of the stuff that we're doing um, and reading, like, getting started blog posts and episodes, you can go to marchisformakers.com and check it out. And my last pick is myself. So I'm available for hire. Um, so if you have a really great, awesome team doing Ruby on Rails stuff, I would love to hear from you. And I think my information should be available on the site. And that's what I got. You should totally snatch up Saran. Do not let this opportunity go unnoticed. <laughs> yes, and I'm, I'm based in NYC, but I am willing to relocate since Jessica reminded me. I'm assuming that was for me, Jessica, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Nice. There you go. All right, so I had about 5 million picks on uh, since I've been off for so long, and I had to trim them all down, so I decided I'm all fun this week, no programming. So here's two fun picks. First of all, there is an Indiegogo campaign right now for Con Man, which is a series, a comedy series from Alan Tudyk and Nathan Fillion of Firefly fame. And it's a show about what happens to these characters after their 
space sci-fi show is canceled. And one of them kind of goes on to be famous. He was the pilot. And the other one kind of just becomes a convention man, hence con man, the name. And it looks to be hilarious. The videos and all of that look awesome. And, you know, Firefly cast doing more stuff about Firefly. So if that appeals to you at all, then you're like me and you should probably go check this out. That will have about two weeks left when this episode airs. And it's already been funded many times over. So check that out. Um, another thing, I have recently got back into comics, which comics are amazing. I had apparently forgotten this. I used to read a bunch of them when I was a kid. And there's tons of new stuff out there and some pretty darn cool stuff. And I'm having a hard time picking just one to recommend. But if I had to say... My absolute favorite. Try Alex plus Ada from Image Comics. It's kind of a slightly futuristic story about what happens when we have uh, sentient robots and how the populace reacts to that and stuff. Uh, Really good comic series that I've been reading. So those are my picks. Awesome. Well, I think that's all we've got. So uh, thank you for coming, folks. Yay, Ruby Rugs 200! Woo! Woo! This was amazing. I think Absolutely amazing show. I think we've missed a total of like one week ever. So. And I went through this whole episode without screaming, this is Sparta. (laughs) Come on, James, give it to us. Let's hear it. No, I'm saving it for 300. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, well, we'll wrap up then. We'll catch everyone next week. Bye. Everybody. Bye. Bye. This episode is sponsored by Watch Me Code. Ruby and JavaScript go together like peanut butter and jelly. Have you been looking for regular, high-quality video screencasts on building JavaScript done by someone who really understands JavaScript? Derek Bailey's videos cover many of the topics we talk about on JavaScript Jabber and Ruby Rogues and are up on the latest tools and tricks you'll need to write great JavaScript. He covers language fundamentals, so there's plenty for everyone. Looking over the catalog, I got really excited and can't wait to watch them all. Go check them out at rubyrogues.com slash watchmecode. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more. Would you like to join the conversation with the rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at rubyrogues.com slash parlor.